They said, hey, we got a Kingdom Builder video. I said, oh, good. What's it about? They said, oh, it's going to be everything we've done so far this year. I thought, oh, how long is it? They said, 40 seconds. I'm like, that's not going to be enough time. But there it was. Hey, with your permission, can we get right in the Word of God today? Yeah. Boom. Here we go. Get out your Bibles. Romans chapter 8. We're going to get right to it because I want to take all the time we can on this. We're going to go back a little bit to what we went to last week. How many of you guys were not here? You were not here last week. Raise your hand in shame. There you go. Good. We're done. We're good. Everybody's you're forgiven. I'm going to review for you for the first few minutes because I think before we can move forward, you've got to be grounded in this. And if you've been traveling and spending a lot of time in Florida working on your businesses and not in church where you belong, I understand that. You're a deacon. Anyway, I'm just not talking to anybody in particular. I'm just saying, right? So Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. How do I know if I'm a child of God? It's, it's very simple. What, what is the wind that moves your ship? What, what is it that, that, that is, is leading you? So I was like, well, I want more of this, and it's my flesh, it's my pride, it's anger, it's unforgiveness, it's resentment. That what Paul is saying here is there's one true understanding. If you are being moved by the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God is making you a child. You have been adopted by God. You still with me? All right, so those who are led by the Spirit of God, they're the ones. Well, the, the ones who obey the Ten Commandments, not what I said. The ones that, that you know, don't do the thou shalt nots and they do the thou shalt, not what I said, not what he said. But those whose, whose impulse, those whose life, those whose direction is set by the Spirit of God, those are the children of God. They're moving in the direction their father's moving in. And look what happens next. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba or Papa, Daddy God, right? So there's this, there's this paternal affection in our title. We, we get to come to him and not say, you know, Yahweh, the unpronounceable name of God, or Jehovah, um, you know, the, the Adonai, these, these Hebrew words that are so sacred, so holy. He says, no, if you're adopted into the family, God is your Abba. He's your Papa. I love, how many guys know that's still a little uncomfortable for some of us? But it's biblical regardless of our comfort level with it. If God adopts you, then you're not like a slave, and he makes this comparison, whose only expectation when his name is called is punishment or more responsibility. When God, when your Abba calls your name, when you're his child, being led by his spirit, he's opening doors, he's teaching you, iron sharpening iron in the body of Christ. When he calls your name, your expectations would be, there must be biscuits and gravy. When he calls you, there must be some challenge. There must be some, some project that he and I get to work on together. Slaves live in fear because their only expectation from their master is punishment. And I want to say this. Be very careful in your following God. You don't follow him like a slave follows a master when you're a son or daughter with a good father. So he continues, right? By him we cry, Abba, Father. Look at this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, he started with that point in the last verse, did he not? We're God's children. You're led by the Spirit. But that is not, it may seem like such a great conclusion, but it's actually, it's what he's going to start with. He wants you to know, before he makes the real point that's on the screen already, don't read it, look right here, follow the bouncing ball, okay? When he wants you to know that because of this, if he can get you to accept the truth of this, then he gets to expose you to that. Here's the that in that sense. Now, if we are children, then logically, does it not also follow that we are heirs? Our culture, an heir is someone who inherits, who inherits uh, an estate. Mom or dad or grandma, grandpa dies, we get the china. That's not the cultural context for the word heir. It means this, that the family has a certain reputation, and you share that because you're part of the family. The family has a certain set of standards, responsibilities. You share that 
because you're part of the family. By the way, the family has access to every good and perfect gift through all time because God is the giver of those gifts. And you have access to that too. Whatever you need, what he's saying here is this. There is a debit card. I'm not simply talking about finances, although provision is a part of this covenant. Let's not, let's not dilute it or pollute it to make it only about money. It's identity, it's authority, it's security, it's blessing. We're not working for this stuff because we are his children. We're working from this stuff as an assumption that when we pray for a five-year-old who has the devil coming out of both ends last Sunday, we pray for him, right? The, the stomach flu, the poor kid is just, looks like one of the scenes from The Exorcist, right? But a group of people that have never met this child pray for him and the doctors say, there's nothing wrong with him. Well, how can there be nothing wrong with him? He just lost four pounds and only, he only weighs 10. What's, he said, well, it must have been the stomach flu. Or the moment we prayed, we took daddy's debit card. We said, on earth as it is in heaven. There's going to be a lot of things on the streets of gold, but vomit's not going to be one of them. Right? So we went from orphans, slaves, to adopted sons and daughters, and then we talked about being heirs. And it's all up here. We're, we, we have access to what God has, and actually everything that Jesus had access to, we do. We're, we're co-heirs. If you want to know what your inheritance is, look what Jesus walked in. So well, I'm not living that. It's not my problem you're not cashing the check that Abba gave you. It is my problem to tell you that it's got more zeros on it than you probably imagine. Again, I'm not talking about money specifically. I'm talking about all these other wonderful things that are in the covenant that Jesus died to bring us into. Come on, thank you for breaking the bread of your body, for spilling the wine of your blood. Thank you. I don't want to wait to go to heaven. I want heaven to come to earth now. That is our right. We call upon our Abba for that. Are you still here, right? So, and, and by the way, the last little caveat, it's not all about the good stuff. <laughs> right? Well, if it's pleasant and it's good, it must be God. And if it's bad and it's hard and there's suffering involved, it must not be. I'm just telling you the family is a, is a beautiful, wealthy family with a perfect Abba, yes? But our family, even though it's led by a king, his kingdom is at war. You have to understand that. Otherwise, when bad things happen, you say, well, where was God? I must be an orphan again. We go back to our orphan behaviors. Speaking of orphan behaviors, we, we came up with this little ditty last, last week. It was helpful for us to understand. And let's just review very quickly. If you don't have a father, then you are all that you have. You're responsible to defend you, protect you, provide for you. You're, you're expected to cover for you, forgive you, justify you. If you don't have a dad, then that is you. That orphan mentality, I'm afraid. Why? Because fear is an early warning detection system that danger might be coming. I'm so good at it, I constantly worry. That's how proficient I am at this gift of fear. It makes sense if you don't have a father. But understand, if you do have a father, you don't have to be afraid. You can actually surrender. Hear me. When you were born, each and every one of you, if you were healthy at birth, had only two fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Every other fear you've acquired since then is learned behavior. You take a baby, you go, they, they go, they flail out, right? Don't do it. Just trust me. Otherwise, it's just creepy. Let's see if that really works. Or loud noises. Hey, a healthy child should go, they should, right? We're born with those fears. But the fear of everything else, everything else is a hurt that created a neuron path, that created a warning device, that created an action, that created a habit, that created an orphaned mentality. Are you still here? So, but if we have a father, I should still be afraid of falling. I'm still gonna flinch when there's loud noises. It usually means something blew up and shrapnel's coming towards my face. 
It's good to duck sometimes. Come on, some say amen, right? But I don't have to worry about a lot of stuff I used to worry about. Why? Because I got a daddy. So I went from playing defense because I was an orphan to being at peace because I'm a son to offense because I want to be like my daddy. Christianity, hear me, is not about managing sin. It's not a righteousness sin management diet. And only three easy lessons or two hard ones. You too can be as righteous as I am. Just buy my book. It's not what this is. It's an ongoing relational journey with a good father who knows how to help you understand your sonship or daughtership. And, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful command from a king to tell you to charge. Trust me, we can do this, right? So now the question today, we've reviewed for those who weren't here last week. See, why couldn't you do it in five minutes last week, Jim? Stop judging me. Okay, here we go. So as we reviewed that, here's the question for today. How do we progress from one side of that board to the other? How many of you guys saw last week some things on this side of the board that are fairly true in your life? And if you didn't raise your hand, that's called lying. That's on the left side of the board. And you didn't raise your hand because you're afraid of what people think about you and you worry about it all the time, and, right? It's a reflex that was developed during a time where we didn't have a father that is a self-protection thing. But if we're going to get from that side of the board to that side of the board, there's three things I want you to know. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, get out your phone. If you don't have a phone, write it on an offering envelope. If you don't have an offering envelope and a pen, turn to your neighbor and say, give me your phone. And, and if they're going to do that, give me your wallet too. Just give me your social security number. We'll, get, we'll, we'll skip to the chase. First thing is this. The word of God. What's the word of God give us? It gives us the standard. The, early, the easy one is fear, right? So there's the top of the list. What we all deal with sometimes, fear becomes peace, becomes uh, a surrender. I don't have to be afraid. Well, hear me. How do I know that, I, that I'm allowed to go, that I'm called to go from one to the other? Because many, many, I've heard 365. I don't know if that's true or not. Evidently, there are 365 commands in Scripture that tell one or more people to not be afraid. So how do I know that I'm supposed to go from one to the other? I have the standard of the Word of God. Please hear my heart. I'm not saying that there isn't truth found in other things in other places. I'm saying the truth, as God has revealed it, is between those black leather covers in your Bible. If anything contradicts that, it is not true. If it's in the Word of God, it is the Word of God. Say, well, I don't know. It seems like a pretty simple that that word was changed in 1972. Stop finding the minutia that really, if you studied it one step farther from the critics to actually the scholars, you would realize isn't even there. Just look at the Word of God and trust the author. Amen. Right? So look at this. The Word of God, because it provides the standard, but also we have the Spirit of God who provides the strength. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the Children of God. They, their behaviors will appear as their father. They'll go from playing defense to being at peace to playing offense. Why? Because I didn't have a daddy, and now I do, and I really want to be like him. Just like every child wants to throw a ball like their dad or mow the grass like their dad or whatever it is, right? So um, the word of God that provides the standard, the spirit of God that provides the stretch. Now, here's, here's the part you may not get, and it's where we're going to camp today. There's also the people of God that provide the stretch, you may or may not know what I mean. Let me, let me just give you an example. I can memorize every Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Latin word on the word love. I can memorize them all. And word for word, what Strong's Concordance or Dake's Annotated or whoever is Bonhoeffer's on all these things. But understand this. I don't know how to love until there's someone to love. 
forgiveness, where there's the Greek word, blah, 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 which means, and the Hebrew word, which means blah. I don't know anything about forgiveness until you strike me on one cheek and I got to do something about it besides what I want to do about it. I don't know anything about generosity until I take what I have and I give it to somebody else. You will never hear me. You will never mature from one side to the other in a vacuum. It is impossible. Hear me online. Hear me, Lyndon. Hear me everywhere we are right now. Hear me in Maeve's parents' family room in upstate New York. You will never mature outside of iron that has to rub against the other iron to sharpen you. Knowing what you know doesn't mean you know anything. If our theology is unpracticed, we should call it theoryology. It's just a theory. It's unproven in my life. It's a belief, but I can't call it faith because it's never once been exercised. I, I had this meeting in my home probably 15 years ago. We had some on-again, off-again experiences with men's ministry, some great moments and some real tragic endings. And I, I just don't want to do the cycle anymore of men's ministry. Like, so I invited 50 guys that were the best men that I knew. I don't know what we're going to do for men's ministry, but I know that if these 50 guys can produce three more like them, our church will be better off. The world would be better off. So about 30 of them came to breakfast. They were able to make it. I got out my giant dry erase board and my brand new marker. How many of you guys know if they're not brand new, they're old? They just, they go, and there's, ah. So brand new, nice black, like ink dripping down my elbows. Hallelujah. Dry erase marker. And I said, this one question. I want more of you. What made you, you? What was your process? Hear me. Without exception, different stories, but the exact same narrative. Every single one of them had been part of a group of other men, of other couples. There was a Sunday school class. It was their, their marine boot camp Bible study. It was, it was the guy who mentored them in business. Listen, we do not mature in a vacuum. We need other people to grow. None of them spoke of a person. There were pastors in the story and there were bosses in the story, but it wasn't the pastor. It wasn't the book. It wasn't the author who wrote it 300 years ago and died. What created the dynamics of development and discipleship was they did it in a group of people. You want to run a marathon? Find your group and run with them. You go train on your own, and about three weeks later, you'll say, you know, I got a little hitch in my gill. It's kind of a, I don't know, it feels like maybe next year. Next year becomes, then you're in your 50s, and then you have a real excuse. Then you're in your 60s, and you've got a reason. <laughs> Not an excuse, it's a reason. You're in your 70s, and just, just... I don't know. Don't take your medicine and tell yourself you did one day. I don't know. I'm in my 50s. What do I know, right? Men's breakfast taught me that outside community, men will never develop beyond intellect. Is it true with women as well? Ladies, is that true? It's, so it's not just a man thing. It's a, it's a humanity thing. Please hear me. When God wants to do something big in a person's life, he always places them in smaller groups. Always. Now, this is true. Then we should see it in scripture, right? So the Bible talks of great crowds that follow Jesus. That's their only description. It doesn't say what they did besides they ate some bread or they moved from one place to another or they carried sick people to them. But because they had access to Jesus as a great crowd, not an infinite crowd, but a great one, they, they gained access to Jesus. And in that crowd, good things happened. Do you see that? But later on, Jesus sends out 72 disciples. Should we, should we see greater things come out of a smaller group because a smaller group produces bigger things? Or, or should we not see that? I think we should, right? If that's true, then when the 72 becomes 12, 12 disciples, should we expect something larger to come out of 12 that even came out of the 72 or the great crowds? You see where I'm going? And within the 12, there was actually three. 
Peter, James, and John. Should we expect something greater out of Peter, James, and John because of the access they had that was beyond that of Matthew and Judas and others? We should, and we find in Scripture that that is a warranted, like this validates the belief. And even amongst the three, there's the one, John the Beloved, who was the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. There was, this, there was this relationship that was special beyond the other relationships even, not because Jesus played favorites, but I think because John was able to get out of his own way and just let Jesus love him. Jesus looks at Judas and says, I love you, Judas. And Judas looks at his feet and goes, well, uh, uh, I love you too, man. Hey, Pete, I love you. Well, Pete, you know, he's always falling in the water. And how many of you guys can relate to Peter more than any other disciple? I know accountants love Matthew, but the rest of us love Peter. He's just, he gives me a reason to, to stumble as I learn to walk, you know? But in this, Pete, I love you. And Pete's thinking, yeah, but the whole rooster thing, man. And the, you know, the walking on water and getting carried to the boat in front of my friends and screaming, you don't care that we're drowning. It's just, hey, uh, I love you too, Lord. But when Jesus looked at John, John, I love you, man. John looked at Jesus and said, I love you too. I love you too. That's why it's there. So we should expect, should we not something greater out of John's life, even than Peter, even than James. So what do we see? We see the gospel of John. We see first, second, third John. We see the book of Revelation. We see him dying of old age and writing until history just records he no longer exists. What I'm saying is this, guys. When we are placed by God, the opportunity is extended to us, and we take that action and move into a smaller crowd, you can always expect God to do bigger things. I am not against this group. Matter of fact, this group is part of what we call our GPS. Love God. Come on, help me out. Love people and love to, it's on the screen. If you didn't get that, you deserve the F, right? I'm sorry, it's Michigan, the E. The D minus, because you spelled your name right at the top of the paper. It's our GPS. It, it, it tells us where we're going. It, it, it tells us our destination and how we're going to get there. The Love God environment you're in right now. We're, we're here together today, and man, the worship team, didn't they just kill it today? Just the best that we have to offer, and it's loud and overwhelming. It just helps me. It's like, it's like you know, there, there's like a, uh, you ever been to a hotel and the water trickles out, kind of a shower, where you're only warm on one side because there's not enough water to make you warm on both sides? You know what I'm talking about? You know? And then there's like, you go to the hotel where they've removed all the little things, and it's like, it's like a car wash. I feel sometimes worship here is like standing in front of a fire hose and just rotating. You know what I mean? Just, just blasting. Like, I was thinking about something else, said no one ever. Because it's, it's right here. It's right here. You can see it. You can feel it in the room. You can hear it. Your senses are alive. We're worshiping Jesus, right? That's our love God environment. We have teachers that come to speak to a broad audience of people about the vision of the church and the doctrines of scripture. We have worship. We have all this stuff. But understand this. Even though, even though this is not a bad environment, it is insufficient. Say it with me. It is. I like it when you say that. It is insufficient for your maturity. Well, I read my Bible every day and do a version devotion every day, and that's great. It is insufficient. Knowledge, we've already concluded, is insufficient to your maturity. And I'll say something else. The large group environment also is insufficient for your maturity. You can, you can be taught, and you can love the person next to you because you chose to sit next to them, and you sat next to them for years. It's when that person sitting next to you is like, like butting up against you. It's not, we can tolerate anything for an hour. An hour and 15 minutes. Give me a break. Doing the best I can. But man, if we're doing life together, sooner or later, I'm going to smell your feet. And you're going to smell mine. And it goes to a whole new level. But at that level, we grow to be more like Jesus than this level. 
The third environment, love to serve. We're going to spend, not next week, but the week after, actually the next three weeks after that, we're going to talk about the love to serve. Because as Dina was saying this morning, man, Christianity is not something to be observed. It's something to be engaged. Following Jesus means movement, motion, commotion, riots, revivals, etc. So understand this. Being a part of a smaller group, this is what spiritually healthy people have done since the book of Acts. Right there in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes the day of Pentecost, 120 becomes 2,120. What do they do? No one tells them what to do. What did they naturally do because they were spiritually healthy? What did they do? They met together in each other's homes and they broke bread together with glad zero hearts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to koinonia, to being together. I I asked Pastor Carl because he's the head of our group's ministry that provides for you, if you don't have a group, a group for you to be a part of. That, that has a like mind, a like hobby. We have groups that are like studying the book of Brethekiah. I mean, they're right in there, you know, the minutia of it. We have, we have a, a group this last week, or I'm sorry, this last year that taught on a tactical distance shooting. Be nice to that group. We even take attendance. Like they didn't want their name on a list. I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's like tactical shooting. There's hunting groups and running groups. And then there's Bible groups and prayer groups and ministry groups and leadership groups that lead the youth ministry, lead the children's ministry, lead the creative ministry. Are you getting this? There's groups all over the place. And he facilitates those. And I said, what are, what are like some of the common misunderstandings of, from, from the pew, if you will, that, that they don't understand about the circle, that from the auditorium to the fan room. He said, a lot of times people say, well, I'm really going through a hard time. I need people. Now hear me, don't, don't get mad at me. If you're having a hard time and you're in a group, just hear me. Having a really hard time, I need people. They go for a while, and if it's not fixed in three weeks, they leave and say the group didn't work. Took 27 years to get screwed up, but if in three weeks it doesn't fix it, it must not be right. Been picked on by a bully for 27 years, but if the karate class can't teach you how to kill the bully in three weeks, it must not, karate must be fake. Took you decades to get messed up, but only weeks to get fixed. If you know, it's supposed to be this simple thing. Or the other thing is, they 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 stay in there, but they uh, they once they get better, they leave. It's just the group I went to, like it was an AA group or support group. I went there for a season to get better. Once I got better, I just faded away because when I have my next crisis, then I'll come back to community. Hear me, healthy people from the day of the Book of Acts have been gathering together. Why? Because that's what healthy people do. Healthy people have something to give and they're humble enough to receive. Healthy people know they need people. So um, I'm gonna show you something quickly. Yeah, I'm gonna show you something quickly here if I can. Uh, a leader, a scribe, a Pharisee comes up to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? It's a test. Jesus says, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, Hear, O Israel, Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You guys still tracking? So this, this is what's happening. It, 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 it doesn't, you don't see it at first, but look at it again. Jesus has asked over 300 direct questions in the New Testament. He answers three of them directly. This is one of the three. Not only does Jesus answer this question directly and give an immediate answer. Usually he asks Jesus, what time is it? Well, there was a man once who had a sundial who walked along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. It's like, I just want to know what time it was, man. You know, <laughs> who's my neighbor? Well, he is. No, that's too simple. You have to tell the whole parable. So you, re- you see the picture, remember the truth. Well, Jesus just answered it. It's love God. Everything you are, everything you got, everything you will be, love God. Oh, oh by the way, there's a second commandment. Why, do, why is he not only answer one directly, out of 300, but he, get, he answers a question that wasn't even asked. This is why. Are you listening? The proof of one is only found in the fruit of another. 
The Pharisees were faking their love for God, their words, their gifts, their sacrifices. But do we see Pharisees by and large loving their brother? No. They're, they're religious separationists cause them to only love themselves and sometimes not even love their small group. They fought amongst themselves and they hated everybody that wasn't them because them was a threat to us and us are the holy people of Israel. Hallelujah. So Jesus is saying this, your offerings I can see, your worship I can hear, the blood on the altar I I can touch, but that is no evidence of what's actually happening on the inside of you until that worship, true worship of God will produce true love for men. So Jesus answers the one with almost a question about the other one because the proof of loving God is not found in how loud we sing, it's in how we love our enemy. Darn it. I mean, hallelujah. Um, so here's what I have to say to you. Like, like you got to get this. Loving your neighbor is not going to be magic. It has to be a machine. What do I mean? I'm driving through Holly the other day, and I see, to me, one of the greatest inventions ever known to man. It's a lawnmower, but it's a robot lawnmower. I mean, we can get rid of the neighbor's cat. We can, we can mow the grass. We can put on a search and destroy mission to get gophers. Are you with me? Come on. And this thing is mowing back and forth, a straight line, leaving lines. It's magic. It, it goes back to its own thing. It charges it cleans itself. I mean, it's better than my grandkids. You know what I'm saying? Like this, this thing feeds itself and waters itself and maintains itself and it does what it's supposed to do. It's magic. And, I, and we want sometimes this magic. Like, I want to love people. Can I come forward to the altar today and have you pray for me and I'll love people? No. See, listen. God healed blind eyes. God healed leprosy. God raised the dead, but God never healed a relationship. He never healed a marriage. He never healed a friendship. You hear what I'm saying? The magic of the miraculous is not the machine by which we grow in our love for one another. You got you to put some gas in it and check the oil. And blah, 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 blah. And if you're really lucky, blah, 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 oh, crud, it came off the thing and it's, Right? And if you're really smart, you go to the battery-powered ones and you can move to California and be happy. You know what I mean? It's a bad joke. Anyway, I saw Gavin Newsom's face when I said that. It was weird. You know? And, it finds out, and then you're like, Aah. that is human relationships. It's effort. Sometimes it's disappointment. Sometimes you run out of gas. Sometimes you run out of oil. You will never grow. Hear me, hear me, hear me. You have to love God. Why? Because it's from his love you get to love others. And healthy people, man, they've been meeting at the gym for a long time. Healthy people have been grabbing coffee since the Ethiopian goat herder found coffee. Healthy people have been getting together for a long time. You will never become who you're supposed to be in God until a group that is small enough to let you be you and not let you be you at the same time comes into your life. That is the truth of God. So listen to me. Orphan, son, heir. Hear me. You will never. Everybody say never. Piano girl, join me if you would. Everybody say never. never. Everybody say piano girl, join me if you would. I'm sorry. Give me the, I confused you. You'll never get from that side to that side without people. And you'll never get from that side to that side without God. It requires both. It's not magic. God does magic, if you will. The miraculous. But getting from that side to that side, it's not going to be a miracle. When God wanted Israel to leave Egypt and go to the promised land, he didn't pick them up. He told them which direction to walk. He cleared some obstacles. There were some miracles. Do you see that? 
the, the Red Sea, the, the Jordan River, they, they, the strength to defeat the Stinkerites and the Malachites and the wannabes, right? But in doing that, they were the ones that had to plunge their swords into their enemies. They were the ones that had to pick up their tent stakes and move from A to B. It is incumbent upon you. Please, please, please hear me. It is incumbent upon you to engage other people of faith and form a family that's small enough to let you be you and at the same time not let you get away with being you. You have to have that. We sang just a little while ago, and it, it, I'm trying to sing the song, but it was just beating me up pretty good. I was over there. That thank you for breaking the bread of your body and spilling the wine of your blood. And it just occurred to me, I really don't know what that means. The most pain I've ever been in is probably a, a season in the military or something like that. I've never been nailed. I've never been speared. I've never been punctured in the head that way. I've never been mocked. I've never been flogged with the flesh and the meat and the, literally one of the things talks about entrails hanging out. Like he was just, Jesus was just filleted. It's almost like I was, I was thinking I had the example over there. Like when my, when my wife was pregnant with our first son, I, I, I lied to her. She's not in here now. She's back working with the preschooler. So I'll, I'll tell you, but don't tell her. Okay. It's just between you, me and everybody on the entire internet. So this is just us family secret. I lied to her. I told her these words. If, if I could take this, the weight of this pregnancy from you, childbirth, I, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't, I can't carry a baby. I'm just not made for that. But when it comes time to actually push that baby out and take that pain, I love you so much, baby. I'd do that for you. And then I watched it. <laughs> I just said, hey, uh, I lied. I I mean, from that day to this, my hand is, is still a little sore from her squeezing it. I'll be honest with you, I, I bear the marks of childbirth. I get no sympathy for that when women are in the room. I don't know why, you know? And, and it's like that. What Jesus did to pay for this, I, I take for granted because it's, it's so common to me now. It's so typical to me now. It's so assumed now. And we sang that line, thank you for, for what you did. And I can't even mention the words, but the, oh, thank you. When we say, I'd get involved in a group, but I'm so busy, that's fine. And this isn't for guilt manipulation. Just please remember one thing. Remember who you're saying that to. Yeah, you're asking way too much, Lord. Like, rethink that. You need this, and they need you. I'll close with this thought. How many guys believe when I say I close this, I probably will be within three closings of the end. I was at a wedding yesterday. A little girl that plays guitar sometimes, and a young man that, that uh, does the, the buttons back there sometimes got married yesterday. It was beautiful. It was one of those summer, late summer nights. It was cool, the white tent. I've never seen Kaya look so beautiful. Kaya is, uh, she's, uh, oh, I'm trying to say this the right way, but I mean, I, I, she, when you say, oh, that's such a beautiful dress, Kaya, those words have never been used in the same sentence until, <laughs> until yesterday. It's just not, you know, she's a skateboarder, and you know, she's awesome. But she was gorgeous yesterday. And, and Trev, that dude, we went to Australia together. I've seen him at his worst. I've seen him drool on my pillow because he leaned over on my, you know what I mean? Like I, and he was, he was so handsome yesterday. But this is what got me about yesterday. I, I, I had a thing I had to do in Grand Rapids. I missed the wedding, but I came for the reception. And I heard it from a block away. Before I got to the home, before I saw the tent, I heard the celebration. And it wasn't the sound system. It was just, it was an open moment and people were talking the joy that was coming out from underneath that tent 
But I walked up on, hey, pastor. You thought I was Norm walking into Cheers. <laughs> Young people, look it up. It's funny. <laughs> and, and I said, how's it going? Someone hands me a baby and I'm walking around. And, and no one is telling anybody what to do. But we all knew what to do. Why? Hear me, hear me, hear me. Because at one point or another, we stopped watching church on television. And we started gathering together. We stop treating fellowship like it's a podcast because it isn't the information that makes this important. I am not quoting something you don't have access to. What makes a church a church is when people show up. What makes a church a good church is when people break up into groups. So if you come to this church, I'll just say this first of all, and live stream, forgive me. If you're at home because you're sick or you're traveling or you live in upstate New York and there's a fellowship that meets in your home, or I, I'm, this is not a word of judgment, but I'm gonna challenge some of you that stayed home today because it was just more convenient to stay home. This is not a football game that's just as good on TV as it is at the stadium. It's not. It's a potluck. And today we didn't have chips and salsa because you stayed home. Today, the cheesy potatoes is missing from the table. Because let's face it, some of you guys are cheesier than others. The jello with the fruit salad. We called it monkey puke salad when I was a kid. It's not here because you kept your monkey puke and your cheesy potatoes at home. So well, I can get it the same thing at home as I can get here. Maybe you can, but we can't. The people that are under that tent made the decision to be a part of something with their lives. All of them were parts of small groups. Can I say this as well? Many of them no longer attend Freedom Center Church, but they're still the church wherever they are. And the relationship when there was deaths in that family came from that group. And the celebration when the child got married came from that group. You are missing out on weddings. You're missing out on just hanging out with friends. You're missing out on people that know you enough to say when you've gone too far and not far enough. You're missing out. Outside those doors right now, say this is an ambush, you're darn right it is. Hallelujah. And if you leave without even giving it a second thought, may the fleas of a thousand camels infest your underwear. I mean, I'm that serious about it. That's your armpits. We're going deeper today. Listen, I'm a pastor. I cannot disciple you. But that doesn't mean there isn't discipleship everywhere around you. You have got to get into a smaller group so you can get busy doing the bigger things that God's called you to do. Stand your feet, please, all over this room. Come on. So here's your choice. It's up to you. I won't judge you. I won't take notes. I won't try to, you know, look at security footage to find out who walked past the table. That's what I have deacons for. No. You're really missing out on something special. And those that aren't in your world, they're really missing out on something special too. So what do you say? What do you say? No, I've heard about it. Why I used to be, I'd stop. I, I thought about coming last week, last week, third week. Stop. It's time to be the church. The church has always done this. The church that is healthy will always do this. It'll change your life. So close your eyes and bow your heads. Father, today I pray for good decisions. Not, not guilt-ridden, <laughs> not, you know, not manipulated, no. But the good stuff. Um, it's like there's a tree with presents underneath it and it's December 25th. I just don't let people walk past the tree not recognizing you have placed something special with their name on it. There's a life that involves you at the center, people, you know, in the core, 
that reaches the world around them, God. And I mean reaches. I mean minister to, blesses, is generous. We might never meet them. But if it wasn't for those groups, it wasn't for those people, God, I just, I think I got to see it yesterday. I think I got to sit in the middle of it, eat barbecue meat in the middle of that yesterday and just enjoy what you have done because people decided to take a step. Let them make another step today, I pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You're not right with God. Let's just, let's just assume that for a second. Not everybody, but there are people here right now. We're not gonna ignore you. Like, oh, this is about getting into a group. It, it is, but it's more than that. It's about following Jesus into a group, following Jesus into fellowship, but following Jesus out of, out of your past. We all have a history in this room and we're all called to a destiny in this room. We know there's a purpose on our life. How do I know that? Because when I'm not living it, my soul feels that, that dull sense of, Bleh, is this all there is? Well, why would I ask that question if there wasn't something more that I haven't yet discovered or I haven't yet obeyed? If you're not right with God, then here and now, come on. I already said it, but Jesus did so much and it was so awful, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it and I've seen childbirth. I can't imagine the torture, the screaming, the foul language, the mocking what it must have been like to be Mary standing there watching her son go through that and what it must have been like for Jesus to see his mother standing there and not able to comfort her. Listen, he did that for a reason. It wasn't to start a religion. It was to establish a relationship between your heart and his. God is waiting for your response. He's paid it all. He has signed the adoption papers. He's put your name on it, but it requires your assent, your decision to say yes and be led by his spirit, that you would be his child, that you would be heirs and co-heirs. That's, that's what's on the other side of this decision. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Jim, I'm not right with God, but I wanna be. Then right here, right now, your voice, come on, tell him, God, forgive me. Come on, tell him, God, I, I tried it. I really, I mean, I really tried and it's, it's not working. I need you to be a savior. I don't want a swimming lesson. I need you to be my lifeguard. Come on, tell him right now in your own words, just, Rescue me, help me, save me, forgive me, love me. I believe in you and I, I believe that you believe in me. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Come on, tell him. Fill me, God, with your Holy Spirit. Teach me your word. Give me, give me the standard. Give me the strength. And God, give me the stretch. Stretch of relationships with other people. Give me the standard of your word, the strength of your spirit, and the stretch of people. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. So, right outside those doors, if it's a football game, I get it, but it's not. It's a potluck. Live long, prosper, you're dismissed. God bless you. I'm watching. Just kidding. <laughs>